John chapter 15 and verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every fruit, every branch that bears fruit, He prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of, its, uh, of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you, abide, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You for this precious book this precious teaching, these rich truths. Father, it is our privilege to be able to come before You today and read these truths. Now, Father, we recognize our dependence upon You, recognize our dependence upon the Holy Spirit to understand these truths and apply them to our lives. And I pray that that's what would happen today. Give clarity. Give understanding, Lord. And then help us to not be passive listeners. Help us to not just be hearers of the Word, but also doers to apply this Word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus is talking about the union between His believers, His followers, and Himself. The connection that they have uh, to one another. The union with Christ. If you are a believer in Christ, you are united with Him. And so you are connected to Christ. And the key word here is abide. If you abide in me. Abide is used ten times in these eleven verses. So it's, it's a key to, this, to understanding this passage. Abiding. Connection. Um, the context also is in the context of the Holy Spirit. Jesus reminded them that He's going to send the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's going to come and the Holy Spirit's going to live within them. You need to keep that in mind to understand this passage. Um, the, Jesus is teaching this connection, this idea of abiding in Him with an illustration. It's an illustration of the vine and the branches. And it's really talking about staying power. And that's the title of the message today. Staying power. Abiding in Christ. Staying power. This is important. This is significant. If you are a believer, we need to understand these concepts, these precious truths that Jesus is teaching His disciples here. Now, I'm connected to the United States of America. 
I uh, have a birth certificate. I was born here. I have a social security card. I am a citizen of this country. I'm also connected to the Dingus family. I have a, uh, I carry the name Dingus and I have Dingus DNA in me. I'm also connected to my wife. We have a, a marriage certificate to saying that, that we're joined together. And there was a point in time that that, that, that happened. But I'm also connected to, um, I'm connected to Sam's Club. Not in the same way, obviously. But I'm connected to this. I have a Sam's Club card. I pay them money and they let me shop there. Now that doesn't make sense to me, but that's the way it is. Now, there's a connection there. Some connections are loose and some connections are, are a little stronger. And uh, some connections you really just can't do anything about it. Just the way, just the way it is. Jesus is talking about connection. And he's talking about connection in the context of the Lord's Supper. And you remember all that has happened up to this point. And he has been doing some rich teaching to those men he loves. And Judas has carried, has left. And so he is teaching them some, some deeper principles, some truths here that I think that are important. Now, it's typical of Jesus' teaching. Now... If you notice, at the end of, verse, at the end of chapter 14, he says, let us get up and, and go from here. They may be gathering themselves uh, together and getting ready to leave. He might be teaching this in transit. As they are going, they're going to Gethsemane and they're going to spend some time in prayer there and, and uh, you know what's in store. This is the night before he's crucified. Now, this is typical of Jesus' teaching. Jesus always teaches to the heart. He always teaches to the heart. Now, I think we can learn some things from that, but I think we need to understand that. He starts from the inside. He works on the inside, the heart of the person, and then evidence of that becomes clear. Because man's problem is the heart. Jesus always teaches to the heart. Turn over to the passage that, uh, that uh, was read for us earlier. Actually, chapter 15 first. Matthew chapter 15. Just a quick uh, reminder of these things. Matthew chapter 15, verse 18. But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. Now again, therein lies the problem. The heart proceeds out of the mouth, comes from the heart. And these things defile the man, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts and murders and adulterers and fornication, thefts, false witness, slanderer. There are, there are the things that defile the man. These are the things. We're bad because of the heart. We need to be changed in the heart level. So Jesus always changes the heart. Now Jesus is always teaching against the scribes and the Pharisees because they were just producing more Pharisees. They were only concerned about the externals. And Jesus said, no, it's your heart. Matthew chapter 13, just a few chapters earlier, he said this, chapter 12, verse 33. Uh, he said this, Either make the, the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. What you see, if you have a, a, an apple tree, or you see apple as the fruit, that's the kind of tree it is. 
And if it's a bad tree, it's going to produce bad fruit. If it's a good tree, it's going to produce good fruit. And he goes on to explain that. You brood of vipers. He's talking to the scribes and the Pharisees. How can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of the, that which, is, uh, which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure. Again, he's talking about the heart. What kind of person is that? He is a good person. What makes him a good person? His heart has been changed. And out of that good heart comes good things. The treasure, uh, good treasure, uh, which is good. But out of the evil man, the, the evil man brings out of his evil treasures that which is evil. So that's the principle. Jesus teaches through the heart because man's heart is wicked. Man's heart needs to be changed. And that is very typical of Jesus' teaching. And I think we, uh, we as parents, we so often just teach to the externals. As long as our kids look good on the outside or they're doing the right things, then that's good. No, we need to train the heart, don't we? We understand that. We're learning those things. I think many churches have a problem of, of uh, just teaching the externals. Here's what to do to look like a good Christian. But there's a problem with that. We're producing good people. We're not producing godly people. Now, the world doesn't need any more good people. There's a lot of good people. We need godly people. Our churches must be filled with, with godly people, people who love God, not just good people. And Jesus is talking, again, to the heart. And Jesus is training them, teaching them in this little uh, short section here, really how to process those people who leave, those people who just abandon the teaching of Christ. Uh, Judas Iscariot just left. Now, they didn't quite understand all of that yet. They will. But how are they going to process that? How, how do we process that as, as Christians? People come into our church and they respond. There's a quick response and, and all of a sudden they're, they're gone. And Jesus is teaching them how to, to process and to understand those things. And he's doing it with comparisons. Those who are in Christ and those who are not in Christ. Those who are in Christ stay. Those who are outside of Christ, they, they leave. They're not really connected. There's true believers versus unbelievers. There's people who love Christ and those who just walk away. And the main characteristic is staying power. Those who stay, those who abide, those who are connected. That's what Jesus is is teaching here. Now, here's the point. Here's what I want you to see. Jesus Christ transformed the believer's life from the inside, which becomes evident to, to all, becomes evident on the outside. And in that becomes the foundation of joy in the believer's heart. So Jesus is working on the inside. It becomes evident, fruitful on the outside. And that, in turn, becomes just the joy of the believer's heart. The joy is a believer's life. The question it will ask is, what is the significance of this abiding in Christ? This connection with Christ. This staying power. Jesus wants us to understand that. He wanted His disciples to understand that. There's three basic fundamental principles here. Things that uh, every Christian must understand. We must 
know about our union with Christ, our abiding with Christ, and about this staying power. Number one, we'll start at verse one, but here's what I want you to see in this point. Abiding in Christ produces fruit that is evident in salvation, or evident in salvation. Let me say that again. Abiding in Christ produces fruit. It's going to be seen. Now, it's something that happens on the inside. It's something that happens to the heart. The heart is changed, but it's always seen. There's always some fruit that comes out as a result. And it becomes evident of our salvation. Look at verse 1. It says, I am the vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because the word which I have spoken to you. Jesus Christ had dealt with his disciples. He he was there with them and so he was working on them through the word. And we'll look at that a little bit more. And Jesus, Jesus uses an illustration here. Now, it would have been a common illustration. People would have known what he was talking about very readily. They can look over across the way, across the valley, over on the other hillside, and on the, there's a lot of green around. And there was probably vineyards just all around that he may even be able to point to. Being outside, he could point to that. Look at that. Here's an illustration. And the illustration is that Jesus is the vine. Jesus is the, the vine. That's the big root that comes out of the ground uh, that produces the grapes, the grape, the branches that produces the grapes. Now, sometimes it's, it's such a big vine that uh, we, we have to prop it up on something, a, a trellis or some kind of fence post. You've seen those things. But from the vine comes the nutrients for the branches to be able to produce fruit. Now, what's... Something that's significant that you may not pick up here is that Israel was the vine. They were the ones that were actually connected to God. If At this time, if you wanted to come to God, you had to go through Israel. Israel was the vine. But what had happened? Jesus says, I'm taking Israel's place. He is going to, to, to be the influence of the world, not Israel anymore. Israel had rejected Christ. They had rejected God. God had rejected them. And Jesus said, I am the true vine, as opposed to, as opposed to Israel. Everything was changing now. And this is pretty significant. He says, I'm the true. The true vine means he's the real thing, the real vine. He was the perfect, perfect in every way. He was not faulty in some way like Israel had been. He's genuine. He would, he's the only source of spiritual sustenance. If you are going to grow, if you're going to produce fruit, it's going to be through Christ. And he says, he goes on in this illustration, that Jesus, that his father is the vine dresser. That would be the farmer. Somebody has to take care of the of the the vine and the branches to make sure they're producing. And that's what God the Father does. He's evaluating, uh, evaluating the branches. And that's the picture that you see here. And he has a knife and he cuts away that which needs to be cut away. That which is not producing. He cuts it away and that's the Father. But you also have branches. Now branches are those who 
who profess an attachment to Christ. Now, that was very common. Very common. There would be people that would come up to Christ. I, I want to be your disciple. And Jesus would know their heart and they would eventually fall away. And by this time, many, many had fallen away and uh, Jesus needed to teach them how to process this. But he says, those who are in me, that's this attachment. Uh, it's not the same kind of attachment that you would see in Paul about, uh, from Paul's teaching. Those who are in Christ... Um, now, that's a, that's a genuine attachment. Paul, uh, Jesus is talking about here just this loose attachment. It would include Judas Iscariot. It would include those who would attach themselves. And Jesus taught about those people. Uh, you can, Matthew chapter 13 and verse 20, he says this, The one, who, um, the one on whom whose seed has shown it uh, was sown on the rocky soil, a rocky place. This is the man who hears the word and immediately responds or receives it with joy. But he, is, he has no firm foundation or no firm root in himself, but it is only temporary, he says. And when the afflictions and persecutions arise because of the word, immediately he falls away. That's Jesus' teaching. And it was throughout his teaching and even... Uh, Paul talks about the same thing. John, in his epistle in 1 John, he talks about those who have attached themselves to the church, but then they they go away. He says they were uh, with us, but not really of us. The church is always going to have those people who attach themselves, who who look like just a quick conversion, or or they come into the church, there's there's this attachment, but there's no real attachment to Christ. And we have to be very careful with that. And that's what Jesus is teaching here. Now, there's two types of branches. Those who bear fruit and those who don't bear fruit. Those who don't bear fruit are... The false professors. Those are, uh, the, the, they were not true believers. Among the true believers, there's three characteristics. They, they uh, bear fruit. They bear fruit. There's something inside their life that you can see, something tangible. Yes, there's a change. They abide. They remain in Christ. They maintain that connection. And then they also cooperate with Christ. They keep His commandments. There's that cooperation with Christ. Now, there's no such thing as a fruitless Christian. There's just not. That's what Jesus is saying. If you don't bear any fruit, there's really no no connection there. John the Baptist, uh, these uh, Pharisees and Sadducees would come and they would connect themselves with him and and he would just tell them flat out, look, we want to see fruit of repentance We want to see the genuine article. We want to see that there's evidence of repentance in your life. And we see that in Matthew chapter 3. Believers cannot bear fruit on their own. It takes that connection. But there's no one that has that true connection that doesn't bear true fruit. Doesn't bear fruit. There's an electric socket up here, or somewhere there is. If I take a, an extension cord, we know that there's uh, electricity coming to this point. We know that this extension cord uh, it, it works well. And I take it and I plug into a, a lamp or a light. And we know the electricity is flowing through there. But if it doesn't light, there's something wrong with the bulb. So we change the bulb and then it 
and it works. That's, that's the idea. You have that electricity flowing through, that nutrients, those nutrients flowing from the vine to the branches. So it has to produce. It just has to. That's what naturally happens. Now, Christ has cared for His disciples. He has cut away with the Word, He says. He's cut away those bad things. He's done that in their life. And we would look at those disciples and say, man, you need to do some more cutting. These guys don't, don't get it. But Jesus has, has cut away. And they're anticipating the, the, uh, uh, the Holy Spirit coming. And these are, they're wonderful men. And we'll see the fruit of that more... Um, after the Holy Spirit comes. But God the Father also is concerned about the fruit. I love this part. Um, God the Father has a, has a knife. He, he takes this knife, if you will, and I like what MacArthur says. He, he points it to this. He says, Suffering is merely the handle of the Father's knife. The blade is the word. I like that imagery there. And God the Father, He just carefully carves out exactly what needs to come up uh, or be carved out. He says He prunes it so that it bears even more fruit. What a wonderful thing. What a caring uh, God that we have, that we serve. That He takes the Word and He takes affliction in our life and He pulls them together and He just says, all right, we just, this is a little bit that we need to cut out here, Carl. But it hurts. It hurts. Yes, but it's, it's going to be better for you. You're going to have more fruit as a result. It's a precious picture that we have of a loving Heavenly Father. You say, well, how do you know if it's fruit or if it's just attachment? How do you know that? Now, a, a big church, maybe that's it. If you have a, a big church, then, then you know, boy, that's the right, uh, that's, the, that's fruit. That's not necessarily fruit, is it? A, a large work, a large ministry. A popular programs, successful programs. Boy, that's fruit. Not necessarily. Coming to church, that's really just an attachment, isn't it? Anyone can walk in these doors. It's just an attachment. Even giving to the church, it's just an, an attachment. It's just a profession, reading the Bible. It's just a profession. What you see in Scripture, that fruit always has a spiritual quality. Fruit always has a spiritual quality to it. Now, I want you to follow me here. There's a few things. What does this fruit look like? How do we know fruits from just attachments that will fall away very quickly and very easily? Praise, praise is a fruit. Look at uh, Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. I'll just read it quickly. Uh, There's several verses that we want to look at. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. says this, Through Him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that give thanks to His name. Wow. So praising God with our lips, that's a fruit. That's a fruit. Something has worked within us, and now we're, pro- we're, we're proclaiming praises to God. That's a fruit. What about the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace. 
long-suffering. Those things that the Holy Spirit is working within us and it's producing uh, spiritual results in our life. Character. The Holy Spirit's working. That's fruit. There's another one. Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, verse 38. This is one maybe you, you hadn't thought about, but fruit is... Um, Verse 28, Romans chapter 15, 28. Therefore, then, therefore, when I have finished this, and I have put my seal on his fruit, on this fruit of theirs, I will go on, I will go on by way to you of Spain. I'll go by way of Spain to you. Here's the picture. Paul was going to the other churches, going from church to church, and he was taking up a collection so that he could take it down to Jerusalem. An offering. This would have been a sacrifice from all the other churches. They're coming together. They're helping this poor church in Jerusalem. And he's facilitating that, and he calls it fruit. That's spiritual fruit. Well, that's tangible. Yeah, but that's spiritual fruit. Some things within them, they want to sacrificially love their brother. They want to give to their brothers. In Jerusalem. And Paul calls it fruit. It's an offering, but it's, it's fruit. It's fruit to God. Something from within that's coming from without. Can you fake that? Well, yeah, you can. You can. But when it's done right, it's fruit. It's fruit. He says it's fruit. In fact, Philippians chapter 4, uh, verse 17 says this, Not that I speak... Uh, Not that I seek the gift. People were giving Paul these gifts. Not that I seek the gift. He he said, I want you to give to me. I'm not seeking the gift. It's not for my sake. But I seek for your profit, it says. Or really, fruit is the word. For your fruit, which increases on your account. That, That gift, then, is a sacrifice, a love to to God. And it's a precious thing. And it shows that something has happened in the heart. We need that around here. We need those who are sacrificially give to God's work. It's a fruit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's a fruit of God's working in your life. Holiness, righteousness, godly, uh, godly behavior. That's a fruit. Converts. When someone comes to know the Lord, we're teaching them. We're bringing them up. Discipleship. That's fruit. It's fruit. I think you get the picture. There's always this this spiritual quality. It always starts from within and gets comes from without. That's fruit. That's fruit. Inside out. And the question that we have to ask and we have to evaluate our own self is the fruit that we see in your life, that everybody sees, is it genuine? Does it start with the heart? Or is it motivated by something else? Is it motivated by what everybody else is going to think about me when I give this big check? Hmm. Is it real fruit? Is it genuine fruit? Is it coming from within? Or motivated from without? Let's go on. Look at verse 4. Here's principle number 2. Not exhibiting any spiritual fruit gives evidence of having no connection to Christ. Now, the opposite is true. If you're not producing fruit in your life, if you're not producing fruit in your life, then there's no evidence of a real connection with Jesus Christ. You need to get that. You need to understand that. No fruit? We have to question. 
Is there really a connection to Christ? Fruit is the result of a connection with Christ. Let me begin reading. Let me read uh, verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. That's That's just common sense, isn't it? It has to have that connection, doesn't it? He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. They are spiritually dead and they can respond no way. They cannot produce any spiritual fruit in their life if there's no connection, if they're not abiding. And he goes on. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they're burned. Now, if you abide in me, and how does that happen? Well, and my words abide in you, you can ask whatever you wish, and it shall be done to you. Now, that's not, there's some conditions to that asking. You abide in me, that's just that faithfulness, consistency, and my words abide in you. There's that controlling by the word of God in your life. He's having, that word is having an impact in your life, and then just that, consistency and he says look if you're in my name if you're doing what i want you to do just ask whatever you wish and i'll i'll give it to you listen i hang on that promise as a pastor we as a church we need to hang on that we ask anything if we want our church to grow god is christ is saying look just ask Ask, line your thinking up with God's Word. And He says, ask, go out, move, do something. Do something. And really though, this is, this is a picture of, of judgment. He says, if you, if you do not abide, you're not in Christ. That's just the bottom line. You, you can do nothing. You're spiritually dead. If there's no clear fruit in your life, then obviously there's no real connection to Christ. This is, a, like I said, a picture of judgment. Picture of judgment. Non-fruit-bearing branches. So you have, the, you have the trunk here, you have the vine, and you have branches that are coming out. They're not producing fruit. They're a detriment to the health of the vine. They're a detriment. They pull the nutrition away. They take up space. Uh, away from the other fruit-bearing branches. They're dried. They're, they're lifeless. They're, they're withered, unregenerated, false branches. They're superficial attachments. And these branches, uh, they bear no fruit. And that marks them as unbelievers. How do we know unbelievers? There's no fruit. No fruit in their life. They're marked in as unbelievers. That's what Christ says. That's not what I say. Christ says that. There are no Christians that have been discarded. This is, this is not talking about Christians. Jesus said in uh, just a, a few chapters earlier, chapter 6, He says, All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. Jesus is not just talking about those who are truly connected to Him that He's going to cast out. That's not the picture at all. It's those false professions, those false just attachments to Him. And you really see that throughout the, the whole of Scripture. 
Jesus called them tares among the wheat. He called them the bad fish that needed to be thrown out. He called them the goats among the sheep and the, the false, false uh, or the, uh, the foolish virgins, the apostates we see throughout Scripture. Those who just fall away. Those who, uh, we see them as those who continue in sin even after coming to the knowledge of truth. They, they fall away into everlasting destruction. And they are, they imagine themselves as on the narrow path, but they're really on the broad road. Remember Christ teaching on that? He says they're, they're on the broad way, and it goes, it goes to hell. It's on their way to hell. Turn over to Matthew chapter 7. Look at what Christ says of these, these people. This is a scary thought. It should be a warning to all of us. Matthew chapter 7 In verse 13, he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And then in verse 17, so every good tree, you have to change. You have to be a good tree and not be a bad tree. And change comes from within. So every tree, every good tree bears good fruit. But the bad tree bears bad fruit. A a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. This is consistent with Jesus' teaching. Consistent with Jesus' teaching. I like what what J.C. Ryle said. He says, look at the cross. Think about the cross Meditate on the cross and then go and set your affections on the world if you can. That is so true. That is so accurate of the Christian life. If you can, if you can't just fall away, there's something wrong. Something wrong. Judas Iscariot, he fell away, didn't he? He didn't come crying back in repentance before the Lord. We really don't see that. Peter fell away. In just, in fact, less than six hours or so after Christ said that, maybe nine hours after Christ said this, Peter was denying Christ three times. But what did Peter do? He went out and he wept bitterly. And he came back to the Lord. The Lord received him. Sometimes sometimes it looks like we fall away. Sometimes we don't get it right. Sometimes we, we fall into sin. This is not talking about that. Those who fall away, those who can enjoy sin, they can go and live that lifestyle and never, never come back. Peter describes that for us in 2 Peter chapter 2. It's a verse you need to know. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 20 says this, For if after they have escaped the defilement of the world, The world, they've been defiled in the world. They've escaped that. They've come away. They're in the church. They're attached themselves. By the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them. That's the affairs of the world. And are overcome. The last state becomes worse than the first. For it would be better for them to not have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment handed to them it has happened to them according to the true proverb a dog returns to his vomit and a a sow 
after washing, returns to wallowing in the mire. They didn't change who they were. That dog didn't change his nature. That pig didn't change his nature. He's still a pig. He's still a dog. They're just going to act like pigs and dogs. We have to be changed from the inside. Changed from the inside. If not, if not, if there's no clear attachment, there's no fruit, and then they were cut away and thrown into the fire, that's a picture of judgment. And throughout Scripture we see this picture becomes clearer and clearer, that there's burning and there's gnashing of teeth, there's weeping, and it lasts forever. There is a genuine hell. There is a place of torment. That's a warning to that's a warning to all of us. It's a warning to us to again evaluate ourselves. Is the the fruit that you see in your life is it real? Is it genuine? You know the fact that you're here says a lot and I'm so glad. I'm so glad to look out and see that you're here. Because that that says, hey, at least they're attached. At least they're here. At least they're getting the nutrients from the vine. The Christian life is one direction. There's no turning back. If you can turn back, then turn back. But if you're a genuine believer, you will not enjoy it. And you'll come running back to the Lord. Look at one more principle and we'll go. I know it's time is late. We'll, we'll move on. Principle number three. Abiding in Christ produces a loving relationship with God, which becomes the foundation of joy in the believer's life. When, we are, when we're connected with Christ, uh, we, that produces this, this uh, relationship with God. And that's the source of joy. It's a source of joy. Let me read verse 8. My Father is glorified in this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father loves me, I have loved you. Now abide in that love. If you, uh, if you keep my commandments, then you're abiding, uh, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, so that my joy may be in you. It's Christ's joy. He's giving to them, and that your joy may be full. That's just a wonderful promise. It's a wonderful thing from the Lord. Jesus, Jesus is the uh, he is he is saying that that God is glorified. God is pleased with your life when you have that connection. You're staying. Their staying power is there, obviously by the Holy Spirit. That God is certainly pleased with your life, and Christ is the epitome example of that, isn't He? He loved the Father, and He loved the Father so much. I like what it says in chapter 14, the last verse of chapter 14, so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as my Father commanded me. And Christ is that example. He's that example to us, and He, and he calls for us to follow His example. He calls for that obedience. And we show our love to Christ by obeying Him. Love and obedience cannot be separated in the Christian life. It just cannot be. And you know what? When we have that, when we have that connection with Christ, there's a joy in the Christian life that cannot be explained. First Peter chapter 1, verse 8. He says, joy inexpressible. Joy that cannot be expressed in the Christian life. That's an amazing thought to me that you could be so joyous. But let me just remind you, sin causes us to break that joy. 
causes that relationship with Christ to be broken. And David, when he had sinned with Bathsheba, he said, and he comes to the Lord and finally repents and he says, Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation. What a precious thought. Joy is the center of the Christian life. It, is, it, is, it revolves around joy. It revolves around joy. The kingdom itself consists of joy. It's, it's one of the top fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. The gospel is the, is the good news of what? Great joy. It's the beginning of the Christian life. It's at the end of the Christian life. It's the, it's the mark of the early church was joy. And it's the consequences of being saved, of having saving faith produces joy in our life. It's the characteristic of a true believer is joy. In fact, some would say it's the dominant characteristic of a true believer is joy. It's the goal of ministry. It's, uh, it's what God uses to sustain us in the midst of trials and afflictions. And it's the result of Christian fellowship. And I hope we leave here today rejoicing. Uh, Baxter... Uh, one of the Puritan writers, he said this, that joy was the flower and, uh, and life of true religion. Joy, the flower and life. It's the very life of true religion. And I agree with that. When, when God has worked in your heart, it produces a joy that's genuinely there. I like the way Piper puts it. And Piper just, he just says, this, we're free now to pursue joy, to pursue pleasure. Because it's the right kind of pleasure. A relationship with God connected with Jesus Christ is the foundation of joy in the believer's life. And, and I believe that there's a correlation between the relationship with God and the joy in a person's life. When, when our relationship with God is strong and it's vibrant and it's growing, then our joy equals that. But when it's small, when it's few, when it's less, our joy diminishes. So we can control that to a certain degree. You know what? It also is produced in us by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is working to produce joy in your life. And that amazing thought. Why is it not there? Why is it not there so often? I look at my own life and I say, why am I not more joyous? Because I let the world's thinking affect me. And, And kind of the way the world sees life, I see life. And the, the world doesn't have joy. They don't know joy where, where that fits in. You know, when, when they have lots of money, then they have joy or, you know, whatever. I don't know what they're pursuing. But so often we just pick up the world's view and they don't really know joy. And so the Holy Spirit's combating this worldly philosophy and He's trying to produce joy within us. And that's countercultural, essentially. Because the world thinks about it. They really have no re- real reason to be joyous. But we as Christians do. What a, what a wonderful thought. Is the Holy Spirit trying to produce joy in your life and you're just, your negative thinking just keeps it down? Think about that. I, I just, uh, you kind of run into people sometime like that. Every once in a while, you just, you see them and you just think, so negative. So negative. 
Christ comes in, He changes your whole thinking, He changes your whole worldview, and there's a, puts a joy of the good news in your life. And you're changed. You're changed forever. It changes your perspective. Well, Jesus Christ transforms the believer, the believer's life from the inside, which becomes evident to all and is the foundation of joy in the believer's life. Now, just one last way of applying this. You can fake all of this. You can fake uh, fruit. You can, you can possibly fake uh, abiding in Christ, coming to church all the time. You can fake joy. It's possible to do that. But you're only hurting yourself. It has to be real. It has to be from the inside. When Christ is genuinely at work in a person's life, it starts from the inside. And it, and it comes out. and becomes evident. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray that there's no one in this room today that's just faking it. No one here that, that has been exposed to the truth and knows the way of Jesus Christ and then just turns their back. Lord, what a scary thought. What a, what a terrible thing to have happen. And I pray, Lord, that we would be like Peter when we do sin, when we do fall away, when there are those times in our life that, that our hearts are hardened again because of sin, the habits of sin. I pray, Lord, that You would intervene and soften our hearts. And Lord, may we run back to You like Peter and say, Lord, I love You. And we weep and we cry, Lord, help me never to re. Um, to do anything to damage my relationship, my connection with Christ. And Lord, I just thank you so much for the Holy Spirit who works in our life, who works in our life to produce joy, to produce that staying power, connection with Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.